Hi there, you're listening to the podcast version of 3CR's Monday Breakfast Show. Catch us live every Monday at 7am at 855 on your AM dial, streaming 3CR on the TuneIn app or at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy the show. Strength, 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to late 30am. At midday today, public housing advocates and tenants are planning to protest outside a federal Senate hearing on the Treasury Laws Amendment National Housing and Homelessness Agreement Bill. Organising the protest is the Public Housing Defence Network and they'll be attended by public housing tenants as well. I have a representative of the Public Housing Defence Network, Howard, on the phone. Thanks for joining us on 3CR Breakfast, Howard. Hi, William. Hi. Um, so, just to start... Assistant Minister to the Treasurer, Michael Sukar, describes this bill, and he described it at the second reading in Parliament, as replacing the National Affordable Housing Agreement and another agreement on homelessness. Um, And this will be replaced with the National Housing Homelessness Agreement. There's a lot of agreements there, but the argument is that the NAHA, the previous agreement, has failed to meet its key targets and that under the new agreement, homelessness services will receive permanent indexed funding. In contrast, your organisation describes the Treasury Laws Amendment Bill as new laws which will attack funding for public housing. How is this so? Okay, well, the situation is that the federal government actually signalled in May last year um, that they were going to make funding for the states for housing dependent on uh, both renewal of public housing and also transfer of public housing to community housing, which sounds to me like they're actually talking about, yes, we want the states to um, uh, renew it, maybe demolish and rebuild, and then just give it over to community housing. So that's that's really um, that's really the policy that's going to be implemented in the bill. The bill actually talks about the states having to be strictly accountable to the Commonwealth now for the way they spend their money. Um, people should be aware that pretty much for the last close to 25 years, 30 years, all the state governments. Uh, pretty much not um, increase their public housing stock. What they've been doing is they've been transferring or giving away the public housing stock to community housing, which are private housing organisations like churches, charities and corporations, uh, which is much worse for public house- for, for tenants. They don't have the same conditions, they don't have the same security or rents as they do in public housing. And it's also Canberra's endgame has been described by public housing advocates like yourself that um, this is the large-scale privatisation of public housing. Um, how does this Treasury Laws Amendment Bill achieve this? Well, as I said, what they're doing is they're making the the money that the federal government is going to be giving to the states under the uh, national uh, housing agreements, they're making that dependent on the states complying with um, the conditions uh, or the aims which the federal government has. Uh, in this case, and also in the case of the ALP, both Liberal and, and ALP governments, including Rudd, um, and even going as far back as the Keating government, have had the aim of uh, transferring public housing to community housing. 
Yeah, in an earlier conversation that we have, you actually characterised both the state and federal governments, so the state, Labour and the federal coalition governments, as being in cahoots with the aim of privatisation. Why do you think that the state government and the coalition government have been able to bridge the supposed partisan divide in this case? Uh, well, it's similar to a lot of their attitude on privatisation. Um, the ALP and, and the Libs basically moved left foot, right foot, uh, in, in favour of privatisation on most issues uh, for the last 30 years since um, since the mid-1980s and the Hawke government. Um, and this is another example of it. The thing is, they have, they have managed to... Um, transfer a lot of public housing over, but there's still a substantial amount left. Uh, so we want to stop that. So what, what the federal government's now proposing to do will actually speed up that process of transferring public housing over to community housing. Moving over to the, the state government that we have here, the Andrews Labor government, they're intending to knock down nine inner-city public housing estates, I'm, I'm aware, to sell off to private developers, and that's in return for increased social or community housing, they say. Now, on Monday Breakfast, we've heard about the differences, and you've just um, you outlined them a little earlier, between community and public housing. And to counter this negative effect, the state government argues that the existing public housing is not at all up to standards and desperately needs renewal. What do you say in response to that argument? Well, that's not correct. Um, I've actually witnessed firsthand um, a number of these states, and they're not obsolete or dilapidated the way Martin Foley says that they are. It might be a percentage, maybe 10%, um, on a number of these states that um, need to be knocked down. Um, what's happened is for the last 10 years, pretty much, um, the Victorian governments, Labor and Liberal, have been ignoring maintenance and repairs on public housing. Uh, it's quite obvious that they've been doing it with a view to actually knocking it down, being able to say to the public, look, they're dilapidated, um, making the tenants feel like they have to move out. And we've had that, we've experienced that feedback from tenants that they feel, oh, you know, they're not. They don't want us to be here. It's hard for us to be here because they won't do the maintenance. It pushes everyone in the direction of wanting to move out, making it easier for the government to knock down uh, and then demolish. But what they're doing is they're selling off um, uh, an unspecified percentage of the land, could be as high as 70% based on previous experience, to private development. The other 30% will be rebuilt as what uh, is called social housing. Social housing is, is now a term which is used in legislation in Victoria to describe both public housing and community housing. So we don't know, the government won't come out and say what it's going to be, but we know from previous experience and from what their um, policies have been, it's probably going to be community housing. Once it's rebuilt, the other possibly 30% of the land will be devoted to that. And it's also going to be, there's also going to be less um, units. The government's claiming that they're increasing the number of units by 10%, which is correct, but they're actually reducing the number of bedrooms. Uh, a lot of the um, estates have three-bedroom units on them, um, and those three-bedroom units and some of the two-bedroom bedroom units will be replaced by a lot of one-bedroom units, which will make it impossible for a lot of families to come back, uh, which which actually makes impossible Martin Foley's pledge that uh, tenants will be able to come back. So it's against this tide of privatisation and the lowering of availability of public housing that public housing advocates find themselves protesting. If our listeners were interested in joining today's protest, where could they join you? 
Okay, well, today's protest will be outside the Senate hearing. It's 222 Russell Street, uh, which is the mantra on Russell. Um, and our protest starts at midday and will probably go through till about 2.30. Wonderful. We'll be posting a link on our website. Otherwise, people can search Public Housing Defence Network on Facebook. You're listening to 3CR Breakfast, where I've been speaking to Howard of the Public Housing Defence Network about a planned protest outside the Fed Senate hearing into a bill that would change the way that public housing and homelessness services are funded. Howard, thank you for joining us on 3CR Breakfast. Thanks, brilliant. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. We will not negotiate with minor state of title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars. Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice. For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the right to do that, that nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it. And now we're joined in the studio by AC from the walking tour from Friends of the Earth, is that right? Uh, it's a driving tour. A driving yeah. tour. It's a bit far to walk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Probably about 4,000 kilometres. Oh, oh fair, fair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be chatting about the radioactive tour, and, and it's something that's been going for, I guess, a number of years now. And I just wanted to read a bit from... I love this kind of when there's emotive language like this. So, the radioactive exposure tour is a journey through Australia's nuclear landscape. The tour has exposed thousands of people to the realities of radioactive racism and the environmental and social impacts of uranium mining, radioactive waste and nuclear bomb testing. So the tour takes people, I guess people from around Australia get together and takes people across a number of different sites around through South Australia and I guess, yeah, like it says, exposes people to some of the things that governments uh, have done or are you know, proposing to do in the future that affecting communities in that area. Yeah, and it's going through South Australia, which is kind of um, it's a, it's the equivalent of the kind of sacrifice zone of Nevada over in the US. There's been nuclear bomb testing there in the 50s and 60s. Um, they've got the Roxby Down uranium mine, which is the largest uranium mine um, at Olympic Dam. And also now they're getting targeted for a national radioactive waste dump. Um, there's three sites, two on the Air Peninsula um, and one in the Flinders Ranges. Um, so, yeah, they're really um, being targeted by, by the nuclear industry on many fronts. Um, and we really want to get people out there to support um, community on the ground um, when you're in the city, it seems like far away out in the desert in Central Australia and um, over in South Australia. And I think actually getting people out there to see the country and to meet traditional owners and communities who live out there and are directly affected. Um, yeah. Well, I remember a couple of years ago when 
we were driving through to the protests at Pine Gap and just when you get to that point in South Australia and you just see all these names tick by that you just mentioned, it's just, I guess for an activist, you just see all these names of things that are campaigns or, you know, issues that have happened. But, you know, they're very much, they're real places for a lot of people that um, are being destroyed by industry and by government. Yeah, and I think um, that history is definitely there. Um, I think Roxby Downs at the Olympic Dam mine in the 80s, that was almost, uh, I mean, the the birthplace of a modern anti-nuclear movement in Australia. And certainly, um, like I think about people like Uncle Kevin Buzzacott and the um, Kuba Pedi Kunkachuda and P- the traditional owners in South Australia have led the movement. So taking people back out there again is, yeah, it's very special and to to go into a landscape that holds that history. I think, yeah, it's a way of changing people's minds much more than you can do just by telling them facts and figures. Yeah. Well, the, I guess yeah, that language that um, is used in in the on the website melbournefo.org.au. It, it really it speaks to people who also perhaps haven't been involved in campaigning or activism as well and looking to change their minds. And I guess, you know, it goes going back to previous kind of um, tours that people like, you know, to travel around and expose people to um, changing their, their minds about a political issue and, and whatever that, um, like the freedom rides and things like that. So is that, you know, something that has um, happened on these tours that people have really been able to expose themselves to something different? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, in all honesty, it's a massive recruitment drive for us mm-hmm. in the anti-nuclear movement. We've got the ACE Collective at Friends of the Earth, and a number of people who are involved today are involved because they've come out on a radioactive exposure tour. Um, and I think um, I didn't get involved that way, but it definitely is because I've heard these stories from the people who have experienced them that I am now involved, and there's something... Um, yeah, there's something about that direct communication that affects you at a heart level as well as a mind level. Um, yeah, and in the in our movement, there's definitely it's a long haul kind of a movement. Um, we're not going to there's not going to be a massive win, and there's not going to be any you know uranium mining in Australia in the next year, or nuclear weapons. Well, hopefully they'll be banned within the next year, but they're not going to be disappeared within the next year. It's kind of a lifetime commitment. And we, I mean, I don't want to freak people out and say <laughs> you're in for life, but it definitely is something that you that we hope to connect people at a very deep level so that it's something they can take into their lives and continue on with for, you know, for quite a while because that's what we need. Like, we need, um, we need that kind of commitment and you don't, that doesn't just happen, um, yeah, through social media posts or um, reading articles in a newspaper or something. And I think, I guess, through the tour, you see a real spectrum of the life of um, nuclear, you know, um, of uranium, you know, from where it can be dug up and where it can be potentially um, gotten rid of and, and, you know, right through to, like you mentioned earlier about Maralinga and where um, the testings, you know, previously happened and the impacts of, of the land and of the people around that area as well. Yeah, it's definitely the full, um, the full nuclear chain. Um, it's sort of yeah, it's it happens in a strange order in that the weapons testing happened in the fifties and sixties, 
um, communities are still experiencing that um, the effects from those testings, which are intergenerational and will have actually affected sort of um, uh, yeah, will affect people forever and their children. Can so I just on. clarify there? What kinds of ongoing impacts are there from those testings? Is it about uh, the groundwater? Is it about personal health? Is it what kind um, of- personal health, um, cancer levels, um, issues with fertility? Um, yeah, kind of genetic disorders that uh, are much higher than occurring in other areas. Um, it's something that. Um, yeah, I mean, the obvious one is thyroid problems, which is the first one that kind of comes up. Yeah, it's something, um, it's very difficult to pinpoint. I mean, it's something like, what is the cause of cancer and things like that? Mm. But in places like um, Sejuna um, and um, people like Auntie Sue um, Coleman Hasseldean speaks a lot about this. There's a massive rise in the number of um, cancer cases there um, without any explanation apart from the nuclear bomb testing that's happened and these are in as well as people who lived through it, also young people. It's kind of intergenerational beyond the testing. It seems to linger in the communities. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so definitely um, issues and, and things like the fertility issues. I think there's not there's not been a lot of research into that and a lot, not a lot of people talk about it because maybe there's a sense of, um, I don't know, it's a very personal issue. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's definitely something that needs more looked into i mean the thing about these nuclear testing they drop them on there was people there living um um, places like the community at yatala and they you know there was no ground study you know there was no baseline study to figure out what the health levels were before they dropped bombs on on people because at the time those aboriginal people weren't considered to be you know they weren't human enough to be counted in the census they were considered to be flora and fauna um it's this, and that's what we talk about, the legacy of radioactive racism. Um, there's really extreme racism at play that has targeted communities um, that, yeah, have ongoing, you know, forever kind of effects. Mm. Yeah. And the effect on real flora and fauna as well, not the misclassification of, must be serious? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, the Roxby Downs Uranium Mine or Olympic Dam. They use, they have license to use 42 million litres of water a day. Um, so one of the areas we'll be visiting will be Lake Eyre, uh, which is famous for the, for the Mound Springs, which are these naturally occurring springs in the middle of the desert and incredibly important biodiverse ecologies. Um, and since for the last 30 years that the uranium mine's been um, functioning, they have slowly been um, decreasing the amount of water that's coming through. Um, so that water's coming out of the Great Artesian Basin. Um, it's affecting, like, massive uh, networks of water. And, yeah, people don't have much understanding about how it does long-term. But you can tell that these mounds are drying up and that has really serious effects for the flora and fauna. I think a couple of weeks ago we had um, Sue Bolton talk about the Toxic Free Faulkner campaign. And I guess similarly there's just an issue where, you know, corporations and governments are putting things into the land without any kind of thinking about what's going to happen in the future. I mean, obviously that, you know, is just not just about the site in Faulkner, but the Agent Orange that is making and the effects that that had for um, generations of people in Vietnam. And, you know, and I was saying 
um, around these areas of South Australia that not, I mean, I think when you tell people from other countries or younger people about that uh, Australia let a foreign country test nuclear weapons on soil, I think people find that hard to believe, but it's something that, you know, obviously is a part of the history around that area and just not recognising or understanding the long-term effects. Yeah, I don't think it's talked about much that these mm. nuclear weapon tests happen. I mean, even I think there's something strange about the language that they're called like nuclear weapon tests, like they weren't even actual weapons that were dropped, but they were weapons, you know, bigger than what were dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki being dropped right here in Australia. Without any consultation or consent? No, there was an attempt by one person who was had the responsibility to drive throughout the desert to try and tell people about it. Um, there were signs <laughs> up that were in English. isn't it? Yeah, there were signs not in the, the native language, let alone... Um, I mean, but there was... Uh, it was at a time, I guess, where there were people living out in the desert who lived quite independently of um, kind of, you know, outside of white society. Um, and, yeah... Those people just had a bomb dropped on them. And it's not, I don't think it should be considered a test, like it's part of a kind of ongoing colonial war on the indigenous people mm. in these areas. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I think we may just need to go through some of the details for people that are wanting to get involved or um, come along to the tour. So if people want to find out more about um, registering your interest or um, asking any questions that they may have about the tour, you know, what they could expect or anything like that, um, you can jump on the melbournefo.org.au slash radtour2018. Or is there any other um, social media or... Um, yeah, we've got a, a Facebook page, the ACE Collective. That's, yeah, um, the ACE Nuclear Free Collective is probably the best place to get hold of us. Um, or you can email us on radexposuretour at gmail.com. Yep, and so that's 30th of March to 8th of April is when the tour is taking place. Encourage listeners to try to get along if they can. Mm, Thanks so much for joining us this morning, AC. No problem, thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.